0: sick i am oh goodness <clears throat> i'll try not to cough or sniffle too much in the mic but you get what you get and you don't get upset ever heard that i heard that a lot growing up but i did get upset every now and again well it's wonderful to be here great to see everyone's uh faces here a little earlier thanks for being flexible on time if we're nothing we ought to be flexible but today we're not going to be talking about flexibility in many regards. We're going to be talking about health care. If you're thinking, oh, well, it's the season, he's sick, and he's going to preach about being healthy. Yeah, in some regards, that's true. Not so much to healthcare, maybe, that uh, we're all familiar with and the struggles therein. That's also important, don't get me wrong, uh, but uh, we're focusing a little bit more on the health of the body, and the, the things that we talked about and sang about are going to be very, uh, I guess... It's going to be a big focus of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Unity. I had like 10 different versions of this sermon, uh, naming and and the way that I wanted to approach it. But the the focus here is going to be how can the body of Christ be healthy? What's the point? What's the purpose? So before we uh, uh, dive into that, let's go ahead and read. Uh, We'll be in the uh, beginning of Ephesians 4. We wrapped up uh, 3 last week. So on we go, ever upward. So with that, let's jump on in to Ephesians 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can read along. If not, it's on the screen. We use the ESV version. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, the end of this passage is a wonderful notion. I doubt anybody doesn't want to be a part of a body that is building itself up in love. In order to do that, Lord, we have to be first in you. This isn't an exercise in being healthy and and taking charge and doing a bunch of things so that we can be a better church, Lord. It's about understanding what you would have us do primarily. We need to know you. We need to understand you. We need to study you. We need to think about you. We need to make you the center of our life. And through that, you'll begin to change us and draw us into a desire for unity that we know is critically important for the church to survive and thrive and do the job you've called us to do well in this place. I thank you for these words of encouragement that we're studying today. Lord, it's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. Healthcare. Last week was strength training. If you're here now, this, goodness gracious, some sort of a physical fitness church. Not true. I should serve as a prime example of that. I've got a long way to go on the physical fitness spectrum. Don't, Don't let me lecture you about that. But if you've ever heard this phrase, at least you have your health, has anyone ever heard that? Like, and it usually comes at a time when the the world's imploding all around you. When it comes to (laughs) at least you have your health, it usually means you have nothing else going for you. But the reason that we use this term is because health generally means more opportunity. When we say that, it's, well, you know, at least there'll be a tomorrow where you could try it again. You can look for another job. You could look for another relationship. You could look for another car if you got in a wreck. You could All the things could be remedied with time if you're still alive, if you're still healthy. And when we talk about the church, it's not necessarily that, well, because of the church's health, we'll have more time. But even when it looks like the, things are, the walls are maybe crumbling around the church, a healthy church at least has that. So, to jump into the passage, Paul, in case you forgot, Paul will build upon our last passage. That's one of Paul's uh, mechanisms. I, therefore, it's always a perpetual, like a big snowball, this entire book. Spiritual strength is needed for spiritual success. So, therefore, last week we talked about spiritual strength. Given the fact that you have spiritual strength, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Spiritual strength is needed. He reminds them that he's a prison. He's in prison as he writes this. So this isn't coming from somebody who's sitting in a throne in a beautiful sanctuary, telling them, get your act together and you could be more like me. He is telling them that, get your act together, you could be more like me, but it's not for all the good times. It's not to be lauded and respected in the world. It's maybe to be thrown in prison. The unity of the body of Christ that Paul is talking about has very little to do With our station in this world. And that's exactly where Paul's starting. I'm behind bars building unity. And he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. With great power comes great responsibility. I know it's a kind of a superhero trope, but there's truth to this. If you have some power to do something, then you could argue you have a responsibility to do that. That's exactly what Paul's saying. When you have been called by Jesus, you have a responsibility now. With this comes the power to share the good news. We have a responsibility to do that. And what Paul's talking about is don't do it any old way. When you walk in a manner worthy, we're supposed to be doing this not with haughtiness and brashness, but with humility and gentleness, with all humility and gentleness. We're told to be patient and considerate of others. He says, patience, bearing with one another in love. There will be times of friction. If there weren't, he wouldn't say anything about this. He'd say, Enjoy the perpetual peace with all the people in the church. Everybody you come across that's a believer, you'll never have strife with them. But he doesn't. He says, Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain. That's what's important. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Biblical unity requires peace. This is really, really fundamental. And it's something that is easily blurred across in our world because the world does not require peace for unity. It doesn't require unity for peace. It doesn't even require peace for peace. The world says a lack of war is peace. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. This kind of peace is something that is divine, it's holy. It's a proper calmness. It's an understanding that God is God and we are not, and that's fine. There's nothing the world could do to destroy this. If we truly believe that, then when new, other people or friction arises in the church or whatever, we should be able to put that aside. This peace is not coerced or forced. There's a, uh, you know, when, when I was growing up, there's times you, I would hear ter- terms like, well, you what you get? You're going to set. Or if I hear one more peep, anybody ever heard that? I should hope. If I hear one more peep, now when it's quiet after that, you could say, "Ah, it's peace." But it's peace at the barrel of a gun, right? You're saying, "If I hear one more peep, something's going to happen, and you're not going to like it." So chances are, you're going to be peaceful. Now, would you say that there's unity in a moment like that? As a kid growing up, no. I wanted to be obnoxious, but I'm not. I'm, I'm being held back by threats, by coercion, by force. Now, this sounds a lot more graphic than it is, but the, the notion is we can't do whatever we want in the world around us because we do have laws. Things protect. If I just want something that someone else has, I am not allowed to just go take it. What, what Paul's talking about is something where it's not about making rules in the church to forbid certain things. It's not about telling people to be quiet and act peaceful or else. It's not about telling the congregation, if I hear one more Pete, this is about a desire to actually be unified, to love one another, a bond between believers. And Paul's saying, you shouldn't begrudge this. This shouldn't be like, oh, I guess, I guess we'll do unity. I guess we'll be at peace. There should be an eagerness, a desire for this. And this is where the rubber meets the road. I have heard in my life a million sermons about being nice. Be nice, be peaceable. Well, that's in the word. But what does this mean? Does it mean don't punch somebody, but in your heart really want to? Christ turned that on its head. This is about something much different. This is about honest to goodness peace. When you look at somebody, another church member or an unbeliever, and you feel sorrow for those that don't understand Jesus, and you feel a bond of love with those who do, you don't secretly want to smash their face into something because they just don't get it. Now, that's tempting, and you will struggle with it, which is why we have this passage here. If that's something that you're dealing with, it doesn't mean, well, that's it. You know, I'm I'm not cut out for this. It means I need to have Christ work more in my life. I want less of that. I don't want to be at odds with everybody I come across. I want to be more peaceable, and I don't think I can do it on my own. I got good news. You can't do it on your own. Well, that's not good news. It's great news. Stop trying. Don't act peaceful. Be peaceful. When Paul uses the word eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I have ever come across that in a congregation, including this one. And real, true eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace There's always friction. It's a perpetual struggle. But he writes it here as an encouragement of what we ought to strive for. We should desire it. And what's the point? Why is unity such a big deal? Good news, Paul's going to cover that. This unity that Paul's describing, this desire, is a shadow, right? an emulator, a, a, a pseudo version of the unity of God one body, one spirit. In that the church, the, what he's calling them to be is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over through and in all. That's why unity is important. God is one. The, his His body on earth should be one. Not a whole bunch of Pieces of a body kind of lumbering through the world, telling people how Christ is the head, but we can't find the head right now, because the body's such a mess. The reason we can bother is because grace begets grace. Paul pivots immediately to this when, we, if you ever heard me talk about like the five solas and the notion of these ideas is that grace and faith. And scripture and Christ and the glory of God. All of these things are what's critical. And Paul's going through all of them. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. Now, when we hear that, here it is, Christmas time. I could tell you right now if my gift to my daughter was that I reminded her that God gave me to her for right instruction in the word of the Lord do you think she'd be very happy on Christmas? She probably would say, oh, that's, you're right. What a nice gift. Any Anyway, um, I can't wait to tell my friends that my dad's still here for Christmas. I'm like, but what Paul's saying is in the grand scheme of things, Christ, Christ's gift, yes, he gives us grace and the gift of faith. That's all true. Love all this. But here on earth, these gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. These gifts equip the saints for ministry and building the body. Right? We are a gift to ourselves because Christ is amazing. Now this is a tough one. But I'm telling you right now, unity in the body without Jesus is impossible. Unity in the body without the body is impossible. If there is no body, there is no unity. So there's a weird thing happening here. I've I've heard a story a long time ago. It blew my mind. I was sitting in a, a sallyport in a prison. It was very early. Uh, we were going in for ministry, and there's a, a gentleman there. I think has, has passed. And he came by, and he said, "Hey, I see pictures of your daughter on Facebook. She's a, a, a lovely girl, and I, like a good Christian in the midst of ministry, said, Oh, she's a she's a blessing.' God's, you know, we. God's done amazing things with her and, and this and the other. And he said, told me this story. He said, there's a man, he has a garden and he's out tilling in his garden and it's roses and it's, it's just immaculate. I mean, it looks like a Better Homes and Gardens cover. I think that's still a thing. The magazine's still around, maybe. I don't know. I use it in my reference. People are like, what's the It used to be a magazine with beautiful houses. And that's what this guy's out there and a dude's walking down the street and he looks over at this guy and he says, the Lord has given you a beautiful flower garden. And he turns to the guy and he says, you should have seen it when it was just the Lord out here. And it blew my mind because it's true. If you just let a garden go on its own, it may not be as appealing as if you went out there and did a little bit of work. Now, you can't make a rose grow. You can try real hard, but at some point, nature or the Lord, however you want to view it, the providence takes over and the rose will grow or it won't. We know the right way to do it, but we can't make it grow. But when it does grow, it's tempting to say either I take all the credit for the hard work or maybe I take no credit. When we talk about the unity in the body, it's very much like that. If it's just us in here, it's going to look like weeds. But if there's none of us in here, it's barren earth. We have to be here. We have to be a part of the body. When Paul's talking about the gifts that Christ has given and left behind on this earth, And these are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are not outside the body putting the body together. They're inside the body building it up. I'm standing here preaching today as a pastor and an elder, not as a bodybuilder from the outside in, but as a functional member of the body. I have a responsibility to teach and participate and have an eagerness for unity. And it's a struggle for me as well. There are times when I just want to throw in the towel or give up or just be done with it. It's very, very tempting. There's endless frustrations and and all kinds of things. It doesn't matter that there is an eagerness, and I pray for more of one, to see the body get unified around a singular purpose, and of course, that purpose is the good news of Jesus. That's the goal, growing in faith together. All these gifts that he just cited, all these, these different positions within the body, they're here to help attain the unity of the faith. These gifts can help them mature in their faith. Same for us. No longer children. And just like as children as grown to adults, with that comes stability and wisdom. I chose those two words because I think they're easy enough to grasp and they're very apt. You may not get wiser as you grow older in some people's eyes, but anybody that's gone through this knows there are certain things that you understand a lot better as you grow older. Perspectives change. Things that are very urgent and a huge deal when you're younger aren't so much when you get older because you have a different perspective on what really matters. Same with faith. When you start off in your walk with Jesus, you might have huge ideas about this and that and and then as you grow in a while, you realize, well, that's not as big of a deal as I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, it's something to be concerned about and I want to talk about, but there's, there's a bigger play here. There's more information that I've gathered, more that I know about what, who God is and what His calling in my life is. And the stability that comes from that is beneficial as well. When other kids come into this world underneath parents, they see them as rocks. They look up to them. They trust in them. Mature believers provide lighthouses to immature believers that are still trying to make their way to shore. That's an important role, and this is something that the body is called to do. It might sound strange to say this, but the church sometimes delegates too much of our job to Jesus. By that, I mean, let's make everything a miracle, right? I'm just going to say five words out the door, and if 15 people don't come to Christ, well, it wasn't their time. We're not called to do that kind of stuff. What he's talking about here is active engagement in the body. You do not need Christ to intervene miraculously in somebody's life if you can go pray with them. That is the intervention. We can do things, and we must do them. What Paul's talking about here is relying on the unity of the body by prayer alone, by thoughts alone or good vibes or whatever is not enough. There should be action. We should desire it and be building towards it. Trusting that Christ is going to work through us to build the body. But we can't just throw our hands in here and say, well, Christ hasn't done it yet. So I guess it's not time to be unified. The time to unify is now. The time to be peaceful is now right now, it is time. Now, it sounds like, man, this is getting a little, well, this is truth and love. Kind of ends, wraps it up a little bit here about this whole idea. When you start saying things that maybe you don't want to hear, or when you start saying things that maybe people don't want to hear, maybe you don't want to hear it either. You could bet that there's going to be some Ruffled feathers, some bristled fur, however you want to look at that. Well, I mean, I've worked really hard on that, and I don't like being told I'm not being a unified. I'm not calling anybody out from up here. I don't think Paul is either. He doesn't name any names here, and Paul's known to do that if it's called for. But what Paul's saying is, generally speaking, there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of factions. There's a lot of murmuring going on. When you come to say the truth, when I'm telling you the truth, if you don't like it, tell me where I'm wrong. And if you don't know the truth, then you really aren't going to have much to, uh, to say, are you? If I'm saying something up here that's not true and you don't know the truth, then I guess that sounds true. If you want to know the, the, why the church in general, the, the small seed, large worldwide church is where it is, Catholic church is it, it's because of this. Nobody knows the Bible. <laughs> so people like, like me or others uh, could get in a pulpit, say whatever they want. Most people are like, well, I'm into that, I guess. I mean, I never heard it put that way. Like, what? But, but yeah, but other people had 1,200 years ago when it was decried as a heresy and disproven. But because we don't know anything anymore, we just come here for, a, you know, a, ourselves, and we want to get our ticket punched and look like good people. And the unity of the body is okay. I'm not engaged with the body; it just doesn't matter. Uh, it's all real simple. Whatever you say goes. That's not what we're called to do. To avoid the false, know the truth. As we learn and we practice the truth, as we study the scripture. We grow towards Christ. And Christ as the head joins all these functioning body parts together. The point of this is that this body, working properly, builds itself more and more. This is where the miracle comes. This is where the pure miracle comes. Somehow, we are able to, as a body, with Christ as the head, continually get stronger and grow without any specific thing that we do to cause that to happen. It's just the nature of us being believers, doing what we're called to do, and trusting that Christ will do the rest. The body is just bigger one day. You just kind of look around like, hey, look, I like the analogy of a body because if, if you remember back when you were very little, what did you do to grow? I would argue you lived. <laughs> I mean, well, I ate and I breathed and I... Did. Sure you did, but that's just living, Right? If you don't do that, you're going to die. Living and dying, to be to remain alive, the cadence is your body is going to grow naturally. As we're creating the image of God, this is very, very normal. If we eat things that will help us, if we consume the Word of God regularly, if we take care of our body, it will grow. But if we poison the body, if we don't do the things that are helpful, if we stop eating, if we start drinking, you know nine all the time and, and, and jumping off cliffs, we will soon stop growing. And we might look like a body in a heap of bone and guts at the bottom of the hill and say, well, that's our church, you know, God bless us. Like, stop jumping off cliffs. You've got to do better. Learn to live the way Christ called us to live and watch the body grow. Now, a lot of folks are going to say, now, wait a minute, I don't understand any of this. You're saying if we just stay the course, God's going to take care of this? Yep, that's right. I don't know if you ever noticed in the world, but there are some people that are very short and some people that are very tall. This is how it is. Now, if you ever go up to somebody that's very short and say, hey, can we get it together? What are you doing? And you said, well, everybody should be seven foot four. If you all just had more faith, would you just pray more? Good grief, how are your outreaches? That's why you're short. We'd say well, you're, st- you're stupid. That's not how growth works people don't get to pick how tall they are. Some of that's just the way that it is. Church, that's the same thing with the body of Christ. There are going to be some churches that are nice and big, and they're healthy. There are going to be some churches that are really, really big and absolutely apostate. No Jesus at all. Humongous congregation, dead. Big, giant pile of corpses. Hooray for the church. But there are going to be healthy churches that are very small and they're going to grow and they're going to hold and they're going to shrink and they're going to grow a little bit more because Christ is the head and he's going to do what he needs to do. So, points to ponder. Healthy bodies walk in a worthy manner. Number two, healthy bodies desire and manifest unity. Manifest. That word's thrown around a lot, but I'll explain it. Number three healthy bodies, healthy bodies treasure the gifts of Christ. And number four healthy bodies grow to maturity. First point here healthy bodies walk in a worthy manner. Have you ever heard somebody apologize for the Bible? Or maybe you've done it yourself? I have. I'll be the first a minute. Sorry if this hurts your feelings. I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible says. Or have you ever heard somebody pummel someone with Holy Scripture? As it says here in Isaiah, oh, here's something else for you. Let's go right here to Deuteronomy. Boom! Wrong, you're wrong, right here. These are both flawed approaches to sharing the Word with the world. I talk about walking in a worthy manner. We must desire reconciliation but never loathe the truth. If you know that what the Bible says is going to hurt somebody's feelings, you can empathize with them without apologizing for the Word. We don't need to be sorry for the position of God, but it's reasonable to mourn with those who suddenly realize that they are so far from God that everything they thought was true has just been detonated. That's a painful thing. It's a painful thing to to, to be completely deconstructed and reconstructed in Christ. For many people, it can be that way. As as a functional body, that is a proper thing to do, to share the word in a, in a, in a, in a caring manner. Likewise, we oughtn't be walking around with haughtiness, using the Bible strictly as a sword to cut down those who are in sin but don't know who Christ is. The good news is not that there's a whole bunch of sins and you're guilty. That's not good news. The good news is there's a way back from that. That's the good news. When you start there and you say, listen, this isn't about a sin contest. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Let's just get that out of the way. Now, if they don't believe you, that's an easy thing to prove. And it might hurt a little bit, but if they want to know the truth, you can share. The but the good news is that Christ changed, changed and changes and will change everything. Everything. We must desire Reconciliation. You don't, I don't want to thwart people with the Word of God, and I don't want to keep them distance from God by trying to sugarcoat the gospel or the law in some manner to, to allow them to, to, to stay in their position and have something and Jesus as their, as their life. That is walking. In this, my example, that is a walking in a worthy manner. God's Word is sacrosanct. This is critical, and it's of utmost importance, and time is short. Secondly, healthy bodies desire and manifest unity. Now, put desire in that list first intentionally. It must be desired because the peace of God commands it. Once again, this isn't a unity, uh, you know, peace through strength. That's great for geopolitical use use cases, but it's not ideal for the church. We don't want to have a giant rod and say, I want peace in here or else. Now, I want everyone to want peace. And when we truly desire it, and this is much like everything else when it comes to faith, there's some strange thing that happens. As God changes us and we truly desire it, we will manifest it through our interactions. Now, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the current notion of manifesting where I say it 77 times and then seven more, and like, peace is here. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually manifesting it. If I want to manifest a bookshelf, I don't go home and pray for it. I go buy some lumber and talk to Steve maybe if he has some tips on building a bookshelf, probably does, so it's better than the one I'd build. And then I build a bookshelf. I manifest it by putting screws and glue and wood together. It's not a bookshelf, a bookshelf, a bookshelf, a bookshelf, a bookshelf. That's nonsense. The manifestation of unity here is what do I do to make peace? I want it. Let's go get it. You, thank you for coming in today. I could use some help here. That sounds great. Good to see you. How can I pray for you? I'm glad you're here. I mean it. People know when you mean it, that will start to happen. When we truly desire it, when our heart wants this unity, it will be manifest through our actions and interactions with one another. We will become more peaceable, kind, humble, and gentle. That's what's going to (coughs) happen. preeminent to this is Christ doing what Christ does. That desire, the ability to interact in this way, comes from the same exact mechanism of why do I truly desire Jesus? Because he made me desire him. What we're praying for here is not time to act peaceable again. No, it's time to be peaceable. And to do that, I'm going to need Jesus working in my heart from day one. Third, healthy bodies treasure the gifts of Christ. Now, this is going to be a little weird. I'll I'll be honest. I was back and forth on this. But I'm going to talk about me. It's easy to pick apart the folks that share the good news. I've been, I've listened to preachers and I've become one and it's really, really easy to say, well, that's not how I would have said that, and ooh, I don't like that message, and I heard this guy say it better, and this was far more eloquent, and then his anecdote was much funnier than yours. That's so easy. But we shouldn't seek to exchange our teachers for better ones. Now, there's an exception here in that your teacher is a false teacher. Well, exchange them immediately. <laughs> you shouldn't be sitting underneath false teaching. How do I know it's false teaching? You got to know the truth. But if it's someone that's telling the truth and someone is giving the the Bible its due regard, even if they are not the most handsome, maybe they're a little bit fat and sweaty, maybe they're trying real hard, but that's okay if they are communicating the truth of the Scripture. It's tempting to want to walk out and and look for the best. I want a prettier pastor. I want someone that's more eloquent. I want a uh, quieter, more booming, less booming. That, that checklist is endless. But all of these roles that are, talk, that are, ta- are mentioned here and that I'm talking about here are gifts. Sometimes those that have the hard messages do the most good. The times that I've been the most convicted is when I've heard something that I don't want to hear and I can't get it out of my mind. I leave church mad and then I stew on it and the Spirit starts to move and I'm like, doggone it, it's true and I don't have a... It's indefensible. It's a. It's true. It's not the pastor calling me out. It's a pastor reading Scripture. And if that makes me mad, then the problem is me. Now, can you find a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, a prophet who will tell you what you want to hear? Yes. In today's world, absolutely. Whatever you want to hear, you'll find somebody that tells you that that's great, and you should... Double down on whatever it is. But that is not what makes a healthy body. We should be thankful and cultivate those God has gifted us with. And this one for me is where the rubber really meets the road. Encourage teachers, encourage those willing to step up and take responsibility. Cultivate that. I'm not saying be nice to them and tell them that was good when you don't agree with it, but it's, it's, it's. It's really helpful when people are doing a job to know that the job is being received well. (laughs) I'm here, and I liked it, or I didn't like it. I found it frustrating, or I'm going to double down and reread that again because I need to see that a new way. When we see all the people in our lives that that Christ has brought to bring us the good news, to help us sharpen ourselves, to grow in our faith as gifts, it really changes it and helps drive unity. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the, as, a, as a pastor, and I've seen other pastors, that don't do a good job of this from their own perspective and sow seeds of discord from the top down. That's, that, that, that's not good. I'll just say that. It's really, really hard to cultivate and, and, and be part of a group where the leadership itself is inciting some of this, fomenting this, this anger and discord inside the body. I will tell you, and I I bet I speak for Mike when I don't want that here. I want us all to, to get along and be on one key purpose, and that is to share the good news of Christ with everybody outside those doors as we study the good news of Christ with everybody inside these doors. Lastly, healthy bodies grow to maturity. This is why we're here, and we teach the Word. If you want to know why we do this here every Sunday it's fundamentally so that we can hear and learn and grow. If we kick the doors open and people walk in and they hear the good news for the first time, awesome. That's great. But this is a gathering of the saints. The fundamental focus here is to build the body up so that we can go outside those doors and be well-equipped in a world that knows not who Christ is. Just to reiterate, there is no spiritual growth without God and God's Word. Walking around in the woods and meditating in, in, in a peaceful setting on other things is not going to give you spiritual growth. It may calm you down. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying just take a walk and whistle a tune or think about a swinging a hammock on a beach and that relaxes you. That's all fine. But if you want to grow spiritually, we need God and we need the Word of God. Because of this, because we know that we can mature and grow, we shouldn't be content living our whole lives as babies. It's tempting. But we know what the, you, you, the, the dangers that here are exactly what Paul describes. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Beloved, if you go look at the state of the church in the world at large today, <laughs> you got a whole bunch of babies that have no idea what the truth is. They haven't grown up at all, they haven't spent any time, they're not eating meat, it's milk, it's good, it's bad, doesn't matter, whatever. I'm not even here for the message anymore. I'll just sit quietly in the pew and it makes the, makes the church big and happy. And uh, we're just the perpetual babies. It's like a cartoon. If you, ever, uh, if you ever watch The Simpsons or something, they've been in the second grade for 30 years. Well, you, you become numb to it. it just, it's the way the show is, right? Of course, it's illogical, but this is like the state of so much that's going on in the church. We shouldn't be content living our whole lives as babies. Over time, we become mature in our faith, and guess what? We become Christ's gifts to others. Evangelists, prophets, preachers, pastors are grown from spiritual babies into spiritual, mature men and women of faith to share the good news with the world for the next generation. So what about us? Our church body is much different. I mentioned this before. It's easy to compare a church to other churches, but I'd avoid that. I spent a whole long time of my life trying to figure this out. How many baptisms? How many of this? How many of that? So right, let's put the numbers up. Let's get a board up. If you ever go to like some really old churches in the country, they had like a board that was sold. It had like last week's attendance and how many in Sunday school? I'm not saying don't do it if you're that country. He's calling us out. I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying if that's primarily why you're there, I'm calling you out. If that board is why you show up, then you're doing it wrong. Those numbers don't matter. Jesus Christ matters if Christ decides to have 3,000 people come to Him, He needs people to preach the good news. Then Christ will move, the Holy Spirit will convict people, and the doors can't be held, us. there's so many people in here, standing room only. We must focus on what's most important and trust God for the rest. Church, if there's any question about what it is that we're up to these days, it's that. We are going to keep preaching the Word Keep opening the doors. Keep letting the community know as best we can that we're here. We love them because Christ loves us. See you next week. Christ's going to move or He's not going to move, but we've got to focus on what's most important. We can't get lost in the details. Compromising the truth for anything is a sign of a dying church, and I can speak f- f- from a firsthand experience on this churches can look like they're growing and things are going really good then all of a sudden you just realize the whole thing is rotten from the core whole thing explodes and, and it, I mean I don't don't spend a lot of time researching this but there are churches that if you, you read their history you're like I mean this is the holy spirit is moving like mad for 3 6 months people coming to Christ all over the place, baptisms, small home groups, great theology, people learning the truth and getting participated, the staff is growing and different outreach programs that are highly effective, reaching the underserved in in, in a place like Seattle that's super dark and needs the light of Christ and it's as unbelievable what Christ is doing. Then all of a sudden, it all blows up Everything unravels. Turns out all this stuff was kind of an act, and people are going through the motion because they want that, not because it was really happening. And this is the the double edged sword of a church body that is a behemoth. It's a massive church body that the world can't help but notice. And if I don't really want to be a part of anything, that's a good body to join because I'm just, I'm part of like, I'm like one of 3,800 knees. They're not going to miss me if I'm not there on a Sunday compromising the truth for anything is a sign of a dying church. And the easiest way to get people in real quick and get plugged in is to start compromising all over the place. That's okay that you do that. That's not a big deal to us. Everything's cool. Whatever you like is probably, hey, God doesn't make mistakes, right? All this stuff is designed to make people say, yeah, yeah. Well, I could come to a church like this because they're not going to call me out on anything. I could do everything that I want to do, plus apparently go to heaven. Well, this is great. I'll come here. I'll throw somebody in the plate. Boom, we're squared away. That's the first step towards a, a stairway down to complete collapse. So, call to action. How can we walk in a manner more worthy? <clears throat> as a congregation, as believers, how can we do that? How can we drive our church's unity? And I say drive because unity is an active thing. We participate in this with, as, with one another, as a group. How can we invest in the gifts of Christ. I'm not talking about, hey, let's give more kudos to the pastor, but you know, someday we'll need new pastors, you know, new evangelists. And how can we invest in that, making sure that these gifts are proliferating and active and engaging and useful? And finally, how can we continue to mature in our faith? One of the interesting things about maturity, speaking from my perspective, which isn't complete maturity by any stretch, is that it never ends. You, you don't stop becoming more mature. It's not like when somebody hits the age of 50, we say, Well, that's it. You've, you've, you've learned everything you can learn as a person. From here, it's just uh, sealed off, and that's it. Your maximum maturity. It goes all the way. You hear people in their 70s and 80s being able to share things that have happened in the last few years, perspectives that have shifted, understandings as they've seen things in their mind change and their world change and people come in and out of their lives. Maturity doesn't stop. It goes and goes and goes. Endless maturity. And the great news, if you ask me about the Word of God, is that there's always something new to learn. Always something wonderful to discover. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for these encouraging chapters, Lord. I thank you for the promise of a unified body that you desire in us. Lord, I pray that as we as a body, knowing that you are at our head, trusting that you are at the head of our church, you are all good things that our church will ever do is because of you and your leadership and your lordship. But Lord, help us to do our part, to be a part of a body that is unified. Help us to be driving ourselves with you and each other towards spiritual maturity. Lord, I'm so thankful for those that are here today. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share the good news, Lord. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share the good news in a community that needs the good news so badly. There's probably so many people sitting in churches today that have not heard the truth. Maybe they're hearing something that's close to the truth or maybe it's a little bit watered down. Or, Lord, I just I want to lift up those, pl- those, those, those folks to, 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 to find a way to hear the truth, to come to open their Bible and start asking tough questions, Lord. And for those that are sitting underneath excellent biblical discipline today, Lord, I'm thankful for those congregations, Lord. And I pray for them. I pray for their unity as well. Lord, this isn't, well, there's no competition between churches. There's no desire to all look the same or be one giant, huge church, or else, Lord, you've got a plan that uses large and small churches of of, of all shapes and sizes to do amazing things, Lord. I'm thankful to be a part of one here. Help us to be the most we can be, Lord. Help us to trust you to steer us where we need to be. Jesus, and I pray, thank you. Amen.